0: What's up, podcast world? We're back. Chad Belding, this Life Ain't For Everybody podcast. Got another good one for you today. We got to send a shout out. Always thanking our partners that believe in our culture, living off the land, knowing where our food comes from, hunter, fisher, gatherer, conservationist, being a provider. I don't care if you grow your own beef, your pigs, your chicken, you hunt with a bow, a crossbow, a slingshot, a shotgun, a rifle, open sight, scoped. It doesn't matter. Grow a garden. Be a hunter. Be a fisher. I love to eat it all. I like to know where my food comes from. We always got to send a huge thank you out to Jack Daniels Tennessee Sour Mash whiskey for bringing our listeners another episode of This Life Ain't for Everybody. They're our title sponsor. Enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking. I've been enjoying just a couple little sips of Jack Daniels during the 2021 Major League Baseball playoffs. I don't like. I don't watch a lot of TV. I love to watch baseball live. But when you're on the road and you're trying to film a bunch of hunts, I've been watching our boys Walker Bueller and Will Smith and Justin Turner and Gavin Lux with the Dodgers take on our good buddy Austin Riley and his Braves counterparts. 3-1 right now. We'll see what happens tonight. And uh, over in the American League, we got Boston and Houston. It's going to be a heck of a World Series, no matter what two teams prevail out of the NLCS and the ALCS. And today's episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast is also brought to you by our good friends and family at Lear Toppers. You know how much we travel. We're all over back roads, dirt roads, highways, byways, flyways. We're going from Canada all the way down to Mexico, every state in the continental United States, chasing ducks, chasing geese, chasing turkeys and elk and deer. We have a lot of good, solid gear that we travel with, both in our trailers and in our trucks. And we depend on Lear toppers to protect us with security, keeping our dogs safe, keeping all of our gear safe and secure, There's nothing better in the world than peace of mind, knowing that when you pull into a lodge or a hotel and you lock that truck up with one push of a button, everything locks and you have double security in so many ways. So thank you, Lear, for believing in the culture of the American hunter, gatherer, provider, fisher. Like I said before, there's not a better lifestyle in the world, in my opinion, than living off the land. And today we have a guest that works with the tag group. He loves Lear, he loves Snugtop, he loves Bedslide, he's got a wife, he has four boys. My mom, at 21 years old, or 22, had three boys. I can't imagine. I have a 10-year-old daughter, I can't imagine being 22 with three boys. Well, our guest today, Nate Day, has four boys with his wonderful wife, and they have an awesome story and a great way of living. I'm very interested in it, and I'm glad that we have them today. My brother Nate, how are you?
1: I'm doing awesome. Thank you very much for having me out. I uh, definitely appreciate getting the chance to talk with anybody in this, you know, environment, industry, culture, and all that kind of stuff. So it's awesome being here.
0: You uh, you have a lot of Instagram accounts, and I want to get them out of the way. And obviously, I'm I don't cheat a lot on these, Nate. I don't take a lot of notes. I don't rely on notes. I try to freestyle everything that happens on all of our different. Podcast formats, but I don't want to get these wrong. I want to make sure that everybody understands. At some, just the word, not when you're adding numbers up, but S O M E, someday adventure. No S on adventure. Someday adventure. At someday I'll learn. I L L L E A R N. So 3L. Someday I'll learn. And then his third Instagram account. Is at someday, Dad, and you can follow Nate and his family and what I would just call their adventures, their experiences, their writing stories. First off, I got to ask you this: I, I read somewhere on on one of these pictures or something, looking at on your accounts, is that this is a this is a all year round lifestyle cycle correct this is these kids are on the road with you all year round. i assume there's a lot of homeschooling going on when you put the word someday i'll learn you guys are learning a lot about life together but is there actual schoolwork being learned on the road nate
1: yeah we'd get in a lot of trouble if we didn't teach them anything i mean i'm sure there's some people out there that might consider that the way to go and but uh, no my wife is very much into education as am i um The someday I'll learn portion of uh, what we're doing actually started with just my wife, Chelsea and I, in which we kind of uh, started off with our endeavors as a newly married couple. Uh, We both met at UCLA where I was playing football for a long time and she wanted to go into full-time writing and I was a photographer and we just kind of started with there. I became a deputy sheriff uh, in San Diego and I worked there for about a decade before deciding to leave that. And the whole point of all this, and it started with someday I'll learn was to just experience and express like all the things you do when you start a family, you know what I mean? Everything from just putting together a household, a home, what makes a family, a family. And obviously all the little nuances like cooking and adventure and stuff like that. And since then we branched off into someday adventure, which is definitely more focused on just the adventurous lifestyle. And in and of itself that evolved, you know, it wasn't just about traveling places or seeing different things. It was, you know, the outdoors and feeling and, and tasting and everything that, that you can do out there, which definitely led into hunting and things like that. And then Sunday Dad is purely focused on my perspective as a father in those adventures and things that we do. Um, mostly because Someday Adventure became very truck oriented. I mean, once you get an audience of like 17 to 35 year old males, when you show a picture of your kids, they kind of like switch a little switch off in their brain. They're like, No, not for me. It's not, you know, the guns and the trucks and the hunting and the fields and the streams. It's a kid so that's why i developed that one so that's kind of where it started from then we spent a ton of time on the road and because we do we pulled our kids out of public school and we were doing that in california which is as you can imagine we're uh refugees if you will uh that's the joking term Oh yeah. the california lifestyle you have a great just, governor though let's get that out of the way <laughs> yeah he's awesome unfortunately my last head of or my last boss of sorts, you know, the top of the food chain was our current vice president. And I don't want to get into that, but let's just say that when she was the, uh, attorney general for California, a lot of what they say is true, you know, but yeah, I know I don't want to talk politics. That's just stupid.
0: I understand. We just, so, we just had to get it out of the way. Yeah. I, just, I just like to take a temperature once in a while to make sure <laughs> that we're on the same page. Cause when yeah. you said refugees, I was like, yeah, I'm, I live very close to California and you know, I'm 15 minutes from the border and on two different locations of California. So,
1: well, yeah, you see a lot as a cop and you realize how ass backwards. Sorry. Uh, oh, you're good. you can say donkey backwards. Things can be out there and it just doesn't make any sense. So did you and quit that, being a cop? Yeah. I retired. I retired myself after about 10 years. So because of, because
0: of some of the, the culture going on and some of, you know, the friction of what's going on or the, the current climate of law enforcement.
1: Uh, actually no, to be completely honest, Not entirely. No, uh, my sister-in-law was killed in a drunk driving accident and my wife just couldn't deal with that grief by herself. So I said, I need to take family time and that bled into, you know, using the other things as an excuse, the culture and stuff like that. But I never had a problem with anything that happened on the streets, on the beats and things like that. Um, you just kind of accept that for being what it is. You wouldn't ask like, a military veteran did it bother you that the people that in the countries that you went to didn't like you no it doesn't bother anybody it's the job you're doing you know yep. so that that wasn't ever a problem i like that but it was more of a family personal decision at the time and it was convenient
0: well i'm terribly sorry to hear about your sister-in-law your wife's sister i i can't imagine that you know life happens but man it's just we got to we got to cherish it this is a we're very very lucky to have I think an average of what, 77 years for a female and like 73 years of a lifespan on earth. It's a, it's a drip, man. It's like a blink of an eye and I feel for y'all. So you, I appreciate that. You, um, are a football player.
1: Was a football player.
0: You were were a football (laughs) player. You played for the Bruins. Uh, we have some mutual, uh, you know, uh, pete savage or john savage who's the brother of pete from reno nevada is the head baseball coach for ucla i've played in jackie robinson stadium my brothers played in jackie robinson stadium we both played baseball at unlv and we would travel three and a half hours south um, to la to play against the bruins we'd go to cal state fullerton and long beach state and san diego and san diego state all over there so college athlete you graduate and you said you played football for a long time. This isn't like a Tommy boy story where you're there for like seven or eight years, right?
1: No, I did the five, which is, That's is what I did a either. question for people. like, why? <laughs> Yeah, they were like, why five? When you, you talk to a non-athlete, I was like, okay, listen, there's something called red shirting. Red shirting. They're like, you mean you failed? And
0: you're getting educated actually in <laughs> photography? You're like, you're, you're, your degree is in photography?
1: No, oddly enough. Uh, I was a political science major. I wanted to learn about war. Um, so I emphasize in international relations. Um, my wife did that too. I was thinking about being a lawyer and then I found out uh, that that sucks for family life, apparently. And so I went into, I was like, well, where can I use my brain and all this legal knowledge and stuff like that, that I really, really dove into. And I, that's how I ended up being a cop kind of, cause I didn't want to go indoors. I spent so much time as an athlete outside, you know, I just couldn't imagine the cubicle life. And so I was like, all right, I'll just go problem solve on the street. And that wound up being really beneficial. And, and then the, uh, the photography thing I actually did on the side, uh, as a gift from my dad, he got me a camera when I was in the end of high school. Cause I liked that he took pictures and he did it as a hobby. And when I was in LA, this is a funny side story. I started shooting for a, a Los Angeles magazine that was a conglomerate of a couple of local magazines. And, uh, are you familiar with Richard Simmons? The sweating to the exercise? oldies, buddy.
0: sweating to the oldies.
1: Yeah, the uh, I have a photo of him. I did a photo shoot of him for the cover of the magazine, and I was doing this all for ad space because they didn't want to pay me. So they paid me like I got a full page ad for doing the cover. You know, like you can you can advertise your photography stuff. And I was like, I'm a football player. What am I going to do with that? And so actually, I got really creative, and I exchanged that to local businesses uh, for camera gear. So I'd say, hey, you can have my full page full page spot. I need that hiking camera bag. And they'd be like, okay, cool. And that's how I acquired my camera gear through college, you know, being an athlete, you're not supposed to make money. So I actually was just doing transactions for ad space. So that's what got me into it. That's a little iffy
0: with an NCAA violation, buddy. I'm going to have
1: to look into this. They can look into me if they want (laughs) to, they still owe me money for the video games. So um, (laughs) they can give me my money first and then look into that. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, so I did that and I have a funny picture of him jumping on me and just some stuff like that. And that's what got me into it. And I realized I really loved photography. I loved uh, journalism, that kind of photography. And I thought, Hey, I'll go to Afghanistan. This is a good time to do it. 2008. And my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, looked at me and was like, the hell you will. And <laughs> so, cause I would have thrown myself into the deep end. You know what I mean? and yeah so i got forbidden from doing that which led me to shooting for us and shooting the things that i shoot i shot one wedding and refused to do that ever again
0: not a wedding fan
1: not not photography wise no
0: um is it mainly because the bride and her family is so particular and just on you the whole time of what they want and just so hard to please or what is it like bridezilla
1: or whatever they call it No, actually, they were really good about that. Um, The part that actually got really frustrating was the random aunts and uncles. It was a Mexican wedding. And they came up and thought they got to tell me what to do. And they jumped in the way of like, you know, after the wedding, you get those like husband wife pictures, those little bride and groom. they just jumped and they mauled it. And I am sort of OCD and uh, A-type. And I just, I knew I couldn't lose my mind at them. And I had that like, uh, you know, college coaches yell at you. I wasn't allowed to. (laughs) <laughs> say certain things oh, and yeah. having to restrain myself through that kind of frustration was just too much. And I was just like, get out of my pictures, please. Like this isn't the 50 aunts and uncles picture. Just go away. And I was like, all right, I'll take my money. I gave them their pictures. And I was like, "That never again. I'll just shoot for magazines or I'll shoot for brands or something. So
0: I, I, I don't want to get, I don't want to get real personal, but you, you talk about, you know, you take your money and you're out. Like now you're in this position, you have a, a social following, I think like 290,000 followers on one of your pages. Um, I you have a social,
1: What's that? That's pretty close. Not quite that much, but yeah.
0: 288. Am I close? What is it? What was it? Am I wrong? 248? I don't know. Let me look it up. I don't want to, I don't want to, uh,
1: it doesn't offend me either way. Okay. It's not a big deal.
0: So how you got to tell me straight up, Nate, how do you make a living in today's world? College educated. Wife is college educated Four kids. It's not like you're just, you know, running away with your wife every weekend and you got a lot of responsibility. You got a lot of mouths to feed. Where is where is the revenue come from in this type of lifestyle that you so proudly showcase through your social media platforms of being on the road and being in the back country? How does revenue come from this? Are you selling photography? Are you I know you're an ambassador of different companies like our, our presenting sponsor tag today with BedSlide and 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 snug top and Lear. Is that kind of where the revenue comes from, or do you have a full time job still after you retire from the police department?
1: No, this is my full time job right now. Um, So you want the secret, huh? Yeah, secret secret. how this is done.
0: I want the (laughs) recipe.
1: Well, I mean, they have all these like how to do a blog things and stuff. So um, after leaving college, basically, I mean, I think the most important thing to understand is this doesn't just happen because you make a decision in your bedroom and you're like, screw it, I don't want to work for somebody. I'm going to start a blog. Um, my wife always says like, we didn't really see any serious money until she'd done it for two years Um, because she started it. And we started in 2009. And at that point, she had worked for that magazine I was shooting for. And then she moved up to a different company and learned how to do ad copy and things like that. And she became really big in the marketing area. And I'll I'll name a couple of brands just so you have context. So she worked for a company that Uh, wrote the ad copy and all the space for all the cruises, all the major cruises like princess and Disney cruises and things like that. So anytime you got a travel brochure or magazine, she understood not only how to put those together, but what it is they were looking for and things like that. And that was great. And I was off trying to, you know, be a cop. And after that, she became the head of marketing for an online sales company for, you know, blinds and things like that. And on the side, she started a blog and she's like, yeah, I want to start writing. And so she does this. And eventually she leaves that company and she comes home one day and she says, I don't want to do this anymore. They're kind of crazy there. It was just one of those weird, like old person owns the company and says crazy things about how to run the internet. And, um, you know, like pointing at the screen and said, make it go viral. Like all those other things, (laughs) (laughs) there's no viral button. Um, Anyway, so she says, I want to do this. I want to write on my own. And at the time with her blogging, you know, everybody's familiar with those female influencers who like just do all the stuff all over Instagram. Like I love this lipstick and all that kind of stuff. And that was my impression of it at the time. This is when Instagram was really new. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, sure. If we can make enough money to buy groceries. I mean, I'm a deputy now. I have enough money to like pay our rent and things. So yeah, if that's what you really want to do. So I supported her and she got really good at it. She used all her knowledge in marketing to set up her, her blog and set up a, a website that people would want to come to for, you know, just tips, advice and stuff like that about starting a family. Cause someday i learned that was the point. And, um, then she got so good she ran campaigns so somebody would reach out to her and be like hey we want to do this campaign about our our widget and you know can you get together a bunch of your friends and stuff and run this social media campaign so she did that and eventually she started doing that for um a brand called wonderful and you might be familiar with them you ever see wonderful pistachios yeah and then fiji water and halos little oranges or cuties or whatever
0: well i like those
1: um yeah, they own like five or something sub brands. And so she ran the campaigns for them. And they're based out of Los Angeles, really big company, gained a lot of experience dealing with hundreds and hundreds of other influencers and things. And she just understood the space and how to appropriately apply yourself into different areas. Me, on the other hand, I was a photographer, basically worthless. Um, I just take good pictures. And when it comes to things like SEO, and I have no idea what she's talking about. But I was really, really good at telling a story visually. And so when she started running her blog more and and leveraging her stories and things, I would help, you know, with the photography and stuff like that. And eventually, you know, brands catch on to this kind of thing and they reach out and like, Hey, we want to send you, you know, our whatever, uh, how much would it cost for us to have you write about us on your blog? And you start sending out prices and things like that. And I think initially... Being really an experience back in 2009 to 2011 ish, we'd say like uh, I don't know 120 bucks. You know, the 20 was the like negotiation point, and they'd say like 100 or something. We thought, and they'd buy. Great, do our you know STP fuel additive. That was one of the first ones I ever worked on with her, and um, that's kind of where it started. Eventually, you do that enough, and you start writing articles about things, and and you take pictures for them. And we were just doing this on our page. This isn't for them to use on their stuff. This isn't me doing like massive photo shoots or something. This is just writing our stories. And I remember a automotive suspension company reaching out and saying, hey, uh, we want to work with you. There was the email. And my wife was like, I don't know what to say to them. I don't want to deal with this. And I said, just let me handle it. Can I do the negotiation? Because up to that point, I hadn't done it. And so she said, yeah. And I said, you don't care if you lose it. So it's not a big deal. And I'm sitting in my patrol car. Uh, kind of around lunchtime and I make the phone call we arrange and I just negotiate a price that was at the time five times more than we had made on any blog post before. And I said, that's what's going to cost per thing. And they said, okay, well, we want five of them. We want you to tell five different aspects or how-to stories about how our suspension helps with certain aspects. And it was like an OEM suspension company. They just made aftermarket you know, replacement parts. And I was like, holy crap. You know, I called. I remember hanging up the phone, like, oh, cool, acting as cool as possible. Hung up the phone because I got to swing for the fences on this one. And I called her and I was like, uh, ha, ha 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 was literally the first thing I said because <laughs> I was like, you let me have it. And I knocked it out of the park. And she's like, holy crap, that's more than you make in like three months. And I was like, yeah, yeah, we're going to do this now. And so that's kind of how we got into it. Um, from there, it's just mostly salesmanship. You know, a lot of what you do. Is your ability to sell yourself and sell your craft or your product or whatever it is you're doing and so we would go to conferences for things that are atypical you know like parenting conferences and then brands would be there to sponsor it as they do sometimes you know and i'll say i'm just this is not an actual brand i'm just gonna use it as an example but diaper brand a is there that you know and i'm visually telling the stories out in the wild and outdoors in the mountains and things. And I'm like, hey, you can work with all these other people that are the same as everybody else. You know, the little toddler crawling across the ground with their diaper on, that's their image of themselves. I said, but you've never had one in the Sawtooth Mountain Range, have you? You've never had anybody take pictures of your product in the Rocky Mountains, you know, with a little kid doing something next to a stream, obviously supervised, where, you know, this is a completely different angle of the story and you're reaching a different audience in a completely different way. And that's where I figured out my skill and my craft, I guess. So that's how we leveraged our skills and our know how and things like that to make this a full time job. So, and time. along the way, you know, yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Along the way, what? Oh, you know, you, you find other things occasionally. You diversify yourself. You do wind up shooting product photography for some brands that need it and like your style and stuff. But that comes with like knowing people and experience. And that's why I say it's not something where you roll over in bed and like, I hate my job I'm a blog now, because if you do that, you're, <laughs> you're going to be bored real fast, you know, and also losing your mind typing into a computer where nobody's really listening to you until you build an audience. So
0: you're sitting in a room right now with bookshelves behind you, your social media made me feel like you don't have a house. Are you borrowing a friend's house and you put your UCLA football up there? Or are you not on the road full time living out of your your camper shell and your fifth wheel? Or do you actually have a residence that you leave from there only certain times of the year or whatever?
1: That was a COVID issue, actually, to tell you the truth. Um, I bought property. When we left California, we bought property on a lake out here that we planned on building a house on. And this is Idaho. I don't know how familiar you are with the uh, climate up here. It's I love um, it up there. Not not warm winters in an no. RV. And so uh, when the construction industry went insane, I don't know where you are right now. What state are you in right now?
0: Nevada. We've we Nevada. Flaunt. Okay.
1: Yeah. So the construction industry went absolutely insane this last year, um, I'd say in the last 16 months or so. And prices of things just, just went, nobody knows what the hell's going on. And I wasn't about to start construction on uh, this barn dominium that we planned on building, which is a giant steel building with their living quarters in it yeah yeah and so i mean we had these plans for 20 foot ceilings yada 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 and it just didn't make sense so we were living in RV full time until i want to say the beginning of the covid stuff which was march of 2020 and my wife is actually pretty smart so we found a house before the market super super tore up up here and we bought the house as an emergency because our priority is making sure our kids are safe and that's what we're in it's actually not a very big house it's built in the 1963. Um we remodel it you know fix it up and stuff so no I have a house um I'm not completely nomadic but um yeah we we travel so much sometimes we're we're here less than we are out on the road if that makes sense like right now. We're already planning for, I might, we just realized my passport's expired. So we're trying to have that rush fixed. So next week we can leave the country. (laughs) So we travel a lot. That's basically what we do all the time.
0: You're going North next week to Canada or are you flying somewhere?
1: We're going South. We're going South to the land of spicy foods. So
0: yeah,
1: I've actually never been there before. And I'll tell you being a cop in San Diego County, Right across from Tijuana, you get even more afraid to travel across the border. <laughs> because we get like reports of like the murder rate, and we're like, "Oh, twenty-six people were killed last night." And we're like, "I'm never taking my family there." So why are so, you? It's just um, we're not going there. We're going way, way further south, and they are flying us. So I have to get. I get to skip over the top. Plus, I'm trying to expand my mind. My wife, uh, her grandfather was well off. He actually was the vice president of a company uh, called Getty, Getty Oil. Um, If you're familiar with them, they became Texaco and Chevron. And he owned a bunch of properties down there, I guess. I don't know how that works because it's another country. But she spent a lot of her time as a kid down there flying into those resorts and stuff. And uh, she's always wanted to go back. I've always been afraid. And I mean, uh, this opportunity, based on the way it's set up, is something that I can swallow, and it satisfies her desire to take me there for the first time. So I said, "Okay, yeah, sure, I'll go." So, so are you going down there to live
0: the nomadic lifestyle? You're going to go catch a fish and cook it wherever you're staying, or are you staying at an all-inclusive five-star American-owned resort, or are you staying at one of her family properties? Are you going to be doing content from down there and 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 kind of letting your your fans and followers live through the experience?
1: Yeah, it'll be a little bit of uh, the whole five-star resort thing and then creating content on our own down there for what we do, you know, traveling around the area. Um, It will not be a nomadic thing. I'm definitely not going to do that in a place that I'm not comfortable crossing the border in because (laughs) I'll screw myself over. So I was like, oh, I'm not supposed to be here. Uh, Sorry. And then I'll wind up with a whole bunch of federales putting me in a jail cell and charging me extra unknown fees for food or something. So
0: where do your kids develop their social skills in a lifestyle like you know like school has a lot more to offer than just being book smart right you got your your recess you got your competition you got your are they competitive are they in organized sports are i have to ask you this because you're taking them to mexico now are they always together, just the four of them? Do they have friends outside of it, maybe in your general area of where you live? Do they have cousins that they run with? Because a big thing going on in our world right now, Nate Day, is that you know there's parents that aren't going to let their kids go to school because of the mask mandate and because of everything that's going on in the public school systems. and And we're victim of it here right now. My 10-year-old, I can't stand that she has to wear a mask in the classroom. But at least I'm glad she's in school. I'm glad that her teacher is taking in and putting this the time in to get her an education because I would love to say I could homeschool, but I can't. Add my brands, my my you know I I have a job. A lot of parents yeah. have full time jobs. Full uh, homeschool teaching is a full time job, and I'm not trying to get around my original question. One, are you guys? are you guys homeschooling like four or five, six hours a day when you go to Mexico? Or is it like a vacation lifestyle for these kids? And my sec, you know, I want to go back to my first question Nate. day is the social skills of a kid is very important. at at a young age and your kids all look like they're 12 and younger probably um tell me a little 10 and younger tell me about that part of your life and are you worried at all that they're not getting i understand they're learning the Mm -hmm. land i love that that ability to to fish and to to understand nature and to be one with it and mountain climb and and understand wildlife whatever it is but are they getting that, that socialism that they need that socializing that they need <laughs> they're
1: not my getting socialism? socialism. Yeah, no, that was a dumb word it. to use. Scratch <laughs> that word. No, it's fine. I um, know uh, I completely understand. And that's definitely a concern you have when you decide to homeschool your kids. We don't set a block of time for them to homeschool. Um, I think if you're in a lot of states, they say they have to have, you know, X number of hours a day. Um, my wife, just to give you a tiny bit of backstory, she was born in a commune in California and the government didn't know she existed until she was three years old, where she got a delayed registration of birth because she literally lived in a commune, you know, no idea what was going on. And so her dad has that lifestyle kind of sort of still, he lives in the Bay area in San Diego or not San Diego, but San Francisco area. And um, that was kind of where she, she's come from a really weird kind of scenario. I, on the other hand, I grew up all over the country. And I remember as a kid, I lived in Oklahoma and living out there on a 13 acre, you know, property and small farm, you don't see anybody, you know, my nearest neighbor was a rifle shot away. You know, you'd be lucky if you hit their house. And so I was always just with my brother and that's my perspective on things. And she's kind of liberal. and um, I say liberal as in just like socially. Uh, so when it came to school in California, she really, really hated how controlled things were. She wanted to be able to move freely. You know, if we wanted to go somewhere, she didn't want to have to ask for permission to have her own kids with her. And so that was the primary drive. So when we're on the road, another part of what we considered, at least initially, was how, what was our requirement? Who are we reporting to, to prove that our kids aren't, you know, being turned into idiots or allowed to be growing up as dummies. And she figured that, you know, we chose Idaho. They don't mandate a certain amount of hours or things like that. Okay, good. So we got that taken care of. They, they do what they have to do as long as they meet certain criteria as far as knowledge levels. And that mostly has to do with math and reading, right? So if your kid can read, great. If they understand words, great. And if they understand math progressively throughout their their time through the year, then good. If they can accomplish certain problems, great. Because my, my wife doesn't think you should just force a kid based on their age to, to understand something like, oh, you better understand this or you're falling behind. And, you know, she understands She was also a teacher after we left school for a short period of time. So she understands everybody has their own needs and education and things like that. So she's compassionate as far as, you know, what they need to know. Now, as far as social skills, not socialism skills, that that really falls to me as far as how I integrate them into society and things like that. And I have a really good anecdote for you as an example. It's not just about other kids. I mean, they have plenty of brothers. Um, We have a church we go to. And they get to interact with kids there and practice their skills and things like that. Because, you know, social skills is a practice. It's something you can learn, you know, a lot like, you know, sports or athletics. There's perishable skills. You can get good at social skills and you become a hermit and then you'll get bad at them again. You know what I mean? And so they're out there. They get to practice what I teach them and things like that. But as far as an anecdote is go- is concerned, we're walking through a grocery store, right? And I have four kids. I'm... A dad. I'm six four, three hundred and twenty pounds. I'm a former offensive and defensive tackle, right? And I'm a very big person, pushing a shopping cart. My kids are not wild. I mean, they're sometimes route and loud with each other, but they're not running around all over. And we're standing in the aisle, they're only what, six, eight feet wide or something like that. And this person's coming towards us. And instead of talking to my kids to get by, because clearly this is what this woman wants, she looks at me. And at this point, I think my oldest is eight, which means my youngest is two. So he's in the basket and I look at her and I don't know if it's my nature. It mostly is my nature, I guess. But as a cop, you just confrontation is something I'm completely fine with. And I look at her and she looks at me and she looks at the kids as if like I'm supposed to do something for her. (laughs) I know what she wants. She wants me to get the kids out of her way. They're looking at cereal or or chili cans or something like that. It doesn't matter. And that's when I, I say they speak English basically inferring you can talk to my kids like you would talk to any other human being. You know, you don't have to have me heard them for you. They are people too. If you want to get by, you can say, excuse me. And that is something that I told her. And she said, Oh, you know, kind of off put. And then she says, excuse me to the kids. And they right away immediately move over to my side of the aisle and she moves about her way. And I talk to them and I bring this up because that's exactly what I tell them is if you wanted to be, you know, you're out here in the world, I expect you to be equally a person as anybody else is a person. If you want to talk to somebody, you look at them and say, excuse me. And then you can talk to them. You know, I, I give them opportunities at fast food stores to go up to the counter and ask for like refills or something. And they go up and people ignore them because they're kids. And that's my opportunity to teach my kids to speak up. You know, if you want to be heard, you look at them in the eye and you say, excuse me, you know, confidently you bring it from yourself because you have every right to be there, uh, you know, that any other customer has at being there just because some, you know, six foot tall skinny teenage boy walks up behind you doesn't give him more of an opportunity to go over the top of you in a line. You know what I mean? And so that is my way of teaching them self-respect ways to interact with the community and things like that you know their autonomy they're allowed to be there they're allowed to have their own space and not get pushed out of the way if something happens they know and and through experience i will step in and say move i mean uh, you know we've had that if you ever watch I mean, don't expect you to right now but in the past in some of my stories i've had them hold a spot with a shopping cart in a line you know now everybody has to be six feet apart right and a lot of these stores put dots on the ground like you can be here you could be here i had a lady when they were by themselves, I went to go get a piece of a loaf of bread or something off a nearby aisle. And there was already somebody getting checked out in front of them. So there's a process here. And this lady walks up and she sees them. And I express this in my stories. Like, I'll film the scenario and the situation. And I'll show it pretty basically 10 seconds afterwards. She walks up and goes right in front of them because they're just a bunch of kids. Right. And they know that their father, if they see this, will handle that. That's not for them to be like, oh, you know, like, what you doing here? You know. <laughs> I walked up and said, no, they were in line first. That's their spot. You don't cut them because they're kids. They are people. That's their spot. And so they know that their family is here to back them. They understand that their family is important. That's where everything and their values are and their loyalty is. But they also understand that if they go out by themselves to take care of themselves, to speak up, to have self-respect, you know, you don't have to bow down to other people just because they're taller than you, bigger than you, or, you know, seem like their issues are more urgent than yours. You know, and that's where it starts. From there, you just play with other kids. When they, when the time comes, and you treat yourself with respect, you treat others with respect. I don't see a problem with that. I mean, as things come up, every every parent has to deal with things as they come up, and when they come up, I deal with them. You know what I mean? Hundred percent. So
0: you don't just get a college scholarship to play offensive or defensive line at UCLA. You know, your Pac-10 D1 school. This is serious football. A lot of major, you know a lot of NFL players have been drafted out of this conference this school, but you didn't just do that. I'm sure or I assume that you had a, a history of organized sports. Does this lifestyle is it conducive to this? Do your kids get to sign up for Little League or gymnastics class or football or basketball? Is there any vision of that? Because again, organized sports and getting coached discipline. Um, being coachable being teachable in life is very are very strong assets in my opinion I think that sports is a very good way to garner this done right okay there's a lot of things that can go wrong with you sports too especially when you have those parents that think that their kids the end all I see a lot of problems watching my daughter or my nephews play sports but I, I'm assuming that they don't have time if they're always on the road with you guys is that fair to say or am I wrong on that and they do participate in organized sports Nate
1: no, that you are correct in this, the fact that we haven't had time up until now. Uh, this year is the first year with my oldest being 10. I have decided we're actually going to start sports, especially with this house here in the city. And there's one sport that I believe, and it's the same sport I started in in kindergarten. I was six years old. That is, I think, in, in our family's opinion, and I mean from my dad down, um, is the critical sport to start with, and that's wrestling. I love wrestling. Great um, sport. Yeah, that's that was my... Religion as a kid, I guess, outside of my religion. (laughs) And, uh, I mean, we'd always say that's the first sport, you know, wrestling. Yeah, a
0: 320-pound lineman that can wrestle. I mean, now we're talking like Gable Stevenson
1: numbers right now. Yeah. Well, I went to state three times, and that was fun. I wasn't 320 pounds. I was 240 pounds when I went. So, I was actually a really, really light heavyweight. And if you know much about wrestling, I wasn't a tie-up guy. I was a shooter which really, really helped me out. So by the time time. of my senior year, I went to state 35 and oh, I think for California. And that was two times I showed up with zero losses and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, no wrestling is going to be the sport that we start being coachable. I think is just comes down to parenting. You can have a kid that, you know, some of them, my dad didn't have parents. I would say he was partially coachable. He just ran on pure intensity. That's why he wound up having a Fulbright scholarship and he played for San Diego State. Um, but he was like an 80s football player, you know, the kind of missing teeth. yeah, yeah, And uh, Lyle just Alexander. pure rage. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I think with a good understanding and head on your shoulders, you're coachable. Uh, growing up wrestling, my dad was my coach because wrestling didn't start, stop when practice was over. It came to my living room. It was always there. No matter where you were, you can always do something. There was... I mean, hell, you could be behind a building and work on certain techniques and things. And my dad lived and breathed sports. So, um, yeah, it was never hard or, you know, there was any challenges into constantly keeping that part of your life. Um, So, yeah, that's what we're going to do this year. We're going to do wrestling and hopefully they like it. If they don't, well, tough, (laughs) they're going to work on it. And they're they're gonna at least give me three years out of it until I decide they really really don't like it if that's the case. But I highly doubt that's gonna be the case with all three of them or all four of them because they're just monsters.
0: I love it and I love wrestling and I couldn't agree more. Um, staying on the the my in- I'm just very inquisitive and interested in the dynamics. I think this is a a lifestyle that's not lived by a lot. I mean, there's, there's some out there, don't get me wrong, but what you portray out there of this adventure lifestyle, um, you're always with this group of six people. Do you feel as a man, a married man, does it, Allow time for just you and your wife to get away because I assume you don't have a lot of babysitters that are On the on the string on the road with You You probably don't have a full-time nanny to where hey watch the four kids We're going to go on a hike up to this lake and have a romantic picnic Um, Does the romance stay in a marriage like this? I know that there's love and I know there's admiration But when you're always with that same group of people is there downtime for you and the in the lady friend here um, being so uh i guess for lack of better terms just locked in this environment of the family and i'm not saying that there's anything wrong with it nate so please don't take that wrong family's the most important thing in the world i know you love all of your kids but i also know that you're a man and you're probably like i got to get away from these little monsters once in a while does this lifestyle allow for this and do you wish you had more of that or is it just kind of like it just
1: falls into place and you take what has as it comes i would say yes and no um no, it does not fall into place. It's not just one of those things you hope. Oh, we'll just wind up. No, that's not how it works. Um, it's definitely something you you hope for, and it's definitely something that's a problem. Well, I don't want to say problem. It's definitely a challenge. You know what I mean? Um, but I think most of it isn't so much related to our our traveling necessarily as it is the age of the kids. Um, I don't know how many people, you know, what percentage of your followers and listeners listeners are parents. Uh, probably a fair number if they're outdoorsman type guys, but um you know, when they're real little, my God, you can't they're 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 not autonomous. They're just like dogs that just puppies. Like imagine like having a bird dog, you're hoping to train into a good a good bird dog, but this won't leave you alone. And they you gotta teach them to stay on their boxer, however your training technique is. But you're just like, geez, Louise, just oh my god, there's no time alone. Now that we have a 10-year-old, um, We've recently started feeling comfortable, say, for example, just running to the store, you know, and leaving them here right? without thinking the house is going to burn down. And the eight-year-old has, uh, he's been diagnosed basically as having Asperger's. And we realized I have some tendencies as well in that area. So he's extremely logical and responsible, if that makes sense. So he's equivalent to his 10-year-old as far as awareness and intelligence. I'm not going to get too much into that. But... um So then it leaves my six and four-year-old who are worthless as far as taking care of themselves. Unless, you know, finding candy and eating it when you're not supposed to is a skill. Um, So Next week it
0: is. Yeah.
1: Do they get to go trick-or-treating next week? Yeah, we're going to see if we can find a neighborhood we want to walk around in and then do the whole whatever. But uh, no, it really comes down to planning and forethought. You know you're going to be in a certain area, so you call your parents or you find a way to distract them. Also making the most of small moments is a big deal when it comes to, you know, being alone with my wife or whatever. If we know we're going to go to, you know, we have errands to run. We make that as we make the most of that errand as we can together if we're going by ourselves since we can leave them home, you know. Um, But now my parents have moved up here. So I'm like, great. You get them for three days. Goodbye. (laughs) They're happy to have them. And I'm happy to be rid of them, but I, you know, obviously love them and stuff, but it's just a challenge. And as they get older, it becomes easier, you know? And so that's where we're at right now. I haven't solved the problem, but at least it's so does it take its toll? That, does it take
0: yeah. its toll on the relationship of of this lifestyle yeah. of always yeah, it being does. together? Yeah. Is it is it is it, is, is it all all is it all about transparency and communication and setting forth what the expectations of the marriage are? Because that's one of the biggest things in marriage is that a lot of times we would lose our individuality because we start living for our kids and the conglomerate of what's there of the consistency of that marriage and that relationship is now six people instead of two. When you were courting this woman back when you guys were coming out of college and she was a teacher and you were a deputy sheriff. But now it's like, bam, I don't even know if I can kiss my wife a lot of the times because, you know, we're, we don't have time for it. So, like, there's got to be a lot of effort put into making sure that that stabilizes and continues to prosper. I mean, is that fair to say? That's got to be an important key to your life is that you guys stay happy together.
1: No, absolutely. And by no means am I an expert at this. This is not something where I'm, I'm like, not saying you or... I'm just trying to learn myself of how you <laughs> no. do it no it's it's definitely a struggle, but I'd say two of the things that you said are pretty key is like communication and understanding where each other are at, I guess basically is you know this is our situation. We both understand we have a job to do because having kids is a commitment, and if you don't think that way, you're stupid now you you, you can disagree with that if you want to, but you know your first priority should be each other, but that's that's is one of the misnomers is that you say. I think in good relationships and families, they're like, Hey, if you have kids, you need to understand mom and dad or husband and wife, they need to be the first priority. And then very quickly followed by the kids. That doesn't mean husband and wife need to have all the time. You know what I mean? You just need to understand you're on the same side. You're on the same team. You have the same goals, but you also need to communicate and understand what each other needs at different times. And they're not always the same thing. And that's okay. That's part of growing up and maturing, I think. And you take care of your kids. You do your responsibilities and then you use the time you have afterwards as you see fit so it yeah i think communication is a really really important part so
0: but it does have the i want to make sure that everybody understands that it is a it's work it's effort right you got to make effort into anything in life right and you can't just wake up and be like oh yeah we're a happy couple with four kids there's a lot of a lot oh, of effort and passion that goes into this and you can't just go through the motions you have to be a husband, a dad, a lover. You have to be a supporter, a provider. It's not like just because you're married with four kids and everybody sees you, you know, you're out there in the, in the wild with your family. This is a lot of effort to keep this going because it could run out of steam if not done the right way. This is me talking. I'm assuming that that you're just like, man, I got to put in a lot of effort into this. I got to make sure my wife knows that we are still individuals. We were put on this earth to achieve goals with each other individually, and I think a lot of times in life Nate Day that uh, whether it's a girlfriend and you quit hanging out with your buddies or she quits hanging out with her friends and then it's a marriage and then it's okay, well, we're we're married now. We're different. I don't go out with my buddies anymore. She doesn't go out with her girlfriends as much. There might be a couple trips a year, and then it's kids. And now it's everything is about the kids. My dad was like this before he passed away. Everything was about us. It was all the kids, almost to the point to where I don't know if my dad was really doing everything that he was put on earth to do. You kind of lose yourself if that makes sense. And I think that people have this misnomer, Day, that oh, I'm 40 years old or I'm 35 years old and I have these kids. Well, you're still out there you were put on this earth for a reason too. You still have individual goals, right? So there's all of these different pieces that make this a complexity. In my opinion, you have your personal goals, your individual goals, you have your goals with your wife. Now you have your kids. You want to see them flourish. There's a lot of work that goes into this lifestyle of being family orientated 24 seven. And at least that's what it looks like that you're portraying online to me is that you guys are together a lot more than you're not.
1: Yeah. Well, two things about what you said, and you know, you have the dad role, the husband role, the lover role, the, know yourself as an individual. And I think as you progress through life, one of the things my uncle told me when I was young is you should never stop learning. Um, You should always have a hunger to, to learn new things. And I think that transpires over or transfers over into personal life. You may have the role of being a dad, an individual, a husband, a lover, all that kind of stuff. But if you think that just having that role makes you set in that position, you're wrong. I think, you know, if you have the dad role, as a dad myself, you know, there are a lot of things I'm learning. One, I'm trying to fix things that my dad did that I teach or I pass on. I'm trying to improve on certain things, eliminate certain things, things that were, you know, I could look at now as an older person and maybe a new generation and say like, that needs to be fixed. Just because I'm a dad doesn't make that role, you know, accomplished. It's not an accomplishment. It's a task. It's an ongoing task, like a farmer going out to sow his field. You know, you can have a field, you can... You can till it, you can set it up and, and get all your nutrients put into it and then get ready to seed it. And then you, you're you not done. You have more work to do. There's seasons and everything that you do. And in those seasons, you have things and responsibilities and things to improve on. And so I think the same is true of being a husband and everything isn't just going to be like, Oh, I'm a husband. There I am. It's that stagnance that kills you. It's that stagnance, that lack of learning, that lack of progressing and knowing that, Oh yeah, I'm a husband. That doesn't mean I'm good at this. That means I have different responsibilities now and different things I can get better at. You know what I mean? So that's the first thing that, you know, as you said, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's different roles. That doesn't mean you have a role. It's like getting a job and be like, I made it. I am the, uh, you know, executive assistant. If that's the end of your career, that's the way you're going to think about it. That's what you do until you die. And if that's the way you think about your life, you're doing something wrong. You know what I mean? I'm a dad. I started out as a dad. I didn't think, you know, what, 10, 11 years ago. Oh, you know, I'm going to, i know what i'm gonna do with this kid disneyland once a year you know haunted mansions in the halloween that's not my life that's not how i do things it's a progression and that's part of you know i could say i'm nomadic i have a house yeah but the things i do evolve i teach my kids on the road because everything i do is new and exciting that's why i evolved them into hunting my oldest son got to hunt for the first time last year you know and that was a new experience, a new lifestyle and all that stuff. And I'm involving that as a husband. I'm, I'm learning to deal with hunting season and my wife, you know, that's something I have to figure out. Like, how do I earn that time? Because if I think I'm entitled to it, I'm a dipshit. You know, if I think I get to show up and it's October 1st and like, no, oh, great. You know, both, se- both seasons open, then I'm, I'm an a-hole, you know, because I'm not doing what I'm responsible for doing. I, I have the role I'm a husband, whatever but I have responsibilities and I have considerations and that's about empathy and compassion. And, uh, you know, to add to what you're saying, it's not, I want to always make sure that everybody understands it's not, and you should never have ultimatums. Like you said, you know, I'm not hanging out with my friends anymore, you know, whatever. If that's an issue, that's a problem, you know, but it's all about understanding I have responsibilities, but I also have a gift in these responsibilities and I can make the most of it. And I can also make sure that when I budget my time and my efforts and things like that, that I have something that I am satisfied with. And you should just like a career because that's what this is.
0: Hundred percent. Is it? Is it to where you and your wife? Excuse me for asking, but what's your wife's name? I don't want Chelsea. Keep, okay, are no. you and Chelsea. I I, I didn't want to look it up just now. Um, <laughs> is it a lot of communication of what your guys' expectations are, or did you guys sit down? And you said you just made a comment, like it's kind of like a. a it's always you're always learning. You're always adapting. You're always transitioning. You're always trying to become a better version of yourself every day as an individual, as a parent, as a coach, as a, a leader, as a mentor. Mentorship is huge. And hunting, like you mentioned, right? Um, they, you're, your kids are lucky they have you to mentor them into that. I've seen pictures of you with a bow and your camouflage. You love being out there, one with nature, honing your skill set are you, are you and your wife on the same page always when it comes to parenting skills? Like you're like, Hey, I'm going to get them into bow hunting. And she's like, uh, uh, no, I grew up in a commune and we're not going to do that. They're not going to hunt. I mean, is there a lot of friction that comes with, with this, or are you guys always communicating on, on the parenting skills and she understands where you're coming from at all times?
1: No uh definitely not <laughs> if i said i, I mean a life i was like yeah yeah we would talk about it on tuesdays you know <laughs> um no not at all uh the i would say the start of everything that helped us was when we dated and oddly enough i don't know i don't know how you are on your faith or religion or anything like that i believe in god i believe in jesus and all that stuff and I, so
0: do I. i'm very spiritual well
1: i i Knew right away that was a criteria that I had to have. I thought when I first saw her, she was absolutely beautiful. I don't think your followers could. Probably, I don't know if they see this or just listen to it, but uh, I'd show you a picture. My wife, damn, I got lucky. Um, <laughs> and you uh,
0: outkicked your punt coverage per se as a football yeah,
1: player. I, I hit the back of the bleachers. Um, so when we we started dating, I again, my I guess it's my Asperger's type, you know side of me or something like that that my son clearly has um i was like listen i need we need to know and she was like the same exact thing we laid it out we're like i believe in this and she's like cool me too and she's like i want this and i was like cool me too and outside of that we'll work out everything else you know we know we wanted a family we knew we had loyalty and we knew we had the same faith we knew we had the same goals everything else in between that's the destination like that's we, we want this like this is we have this thread this line this where we want to walk this path and we're going to see a lot of cool things along the way as far as hunting and stuff no she has no problem with that i mean she she eats meat actually she was a vegetarian when i made her met her um i changed that with in and out um i actually oh, her I first in, you're hungry. yeah well actually if, i don't want to talk politics but out they're having a good time in california right you now saw that san francisco story huh yeah I, 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 I applaud them for having balls but um see
0: ya they don't yeah who i love it too. <laughs> but
1: no we we understand that and then she understands that i'm not just trying to be some wackadoo going hunting one of the most the guy that got me into hunting and i think most people know him is steve ranella but it wasn't when his uh meat eater show or anything like that it was before that when i was in college when i was a kid i grew up my dad not having parents thought bambi was what hunting was you know what i mean he did he had no parents he was just like you know i don't understand hunting i don't know why you go out and just shoot an animal. I can go to the store and buy food. I don't need to do that. And it wasn't anything necessarily against hunting. It's just, that was his understanding. And that's what I had. I don't come from a family of hunters. You know, all the pictures of me and my camera was taken by my eight-year-old with the cell phone. I'm like, cool, thanks, bud. And, you know, I don't, I don't have a lot of setup for that. And so I had to teach myself, but my, my changing moment, I think I was a sophomore, or junior in college and Steve Rinella had some random thing. I don't even know what it was called. It was like the wild within or something. And there was a scene where he was in Hawaii knife hunting pigs. And there was one thing he said that stuck with me. And it was, everybody wants bacon, but nobody wants to stab the pig. And to me, it was about accountability. You know, hunting isn't just about like, oh, the outdoors great. No, it was about, I mean, I'm not going to stop eating meat, But if I'm not the one at some point in time, at least once that is willing to hold the full weight of my diet, of my life in my hands then i really don't deserve it you know what i mean if if i'm capable of doing this being accountable for what i own what what i take part in and all that stuff then i really i have no leg to stand on when it comes to discussing it you know what i mean and that's when i set out learning more about hunting and the whole philosophies and things like that and so he gets credit for changing my whole outlook on that i remember in college kind of looking into things and it's kind of hard to learn how to hunt in Los Angeles. (laughs) So it was mostly research at the time, just kind of like, Oh God, this is kind of cool and understanding what it's about. And being able to bring that to anything we deal with between Chelsea and I is, is really all that matters. If she understands where I'm coming from, like, Hey, this is it. This is why I want to do this. And, and this is what it's all about for me. Then, then she has no problem with it. If it's me going like, hey, I want to get a new truck because, uh, you know, I raises this truck thing. She'd be like, well, you have budgets to think about. You have children to think about. And then if she beats me down with logic, then I go, yeah, you're right. You know? And so, no, I have no problems with anything that I can logically approach. And that's, I think, what makes this work so well. Because if we can just logically approach it and present our ideas. And again, that's why communication is so important. It's not just saying what you want. It's being able to back it up and and present your evidence. Because sometimes discussions you have with your wife are kind of like going to court. Your Honor. if the court pleases i'd like to present sidebar
0: sidebar sidebar (laughs) no it's very well stated and i love Rennell. i love meat eater i think that he's responsible um, for a lot of people understanding the bacon comment and knowing i I mentioned in the beginning of our conversation native knowing where your food comes from and the responsibility and accountability that goes into being a responsible gatherer and it's funny that people will get in line at what you call the in and out. I drove by an in and out last night coming back from a dinner with a partner of mine um, in the Western lifestyle world. I met with him for three hours last night. And all we talked about was the Western lifestyle like in living off the land and how important it is. And then I drive home. And I looked at at least 60 cars coming from all different directions because this in and out is crazy busy. I don't know how they do it, but it's from opening to close. There's at least 30 cars in the drive-in. But last night it was unreal. And I'm like, a lot of those people in that line are okay with eating that double-double, animal-style, ketchup-only crispy fries, but they don't understand Both that they yeah, they don't understand what those cattle and those steers went through of being slaughtered. They they're okay with that. I'll eat it. But then when it comes to going to the ballot box and voting on something that has to do with hunting or our right to hunt, it's not just a privilege. I've been educated in many talks with Mr. Ted Nugent about it's our right to defend our families and to put food on the table through hunting. Okay. Especially if it's said in the Bible in a lot of, in a lot of people's opinion, but Why is it okay for us to eat an In-N-Out burger, but it's not okay for us to go out and stab a pig or arrow an elk or catch a fish and put it on our Traeger grill? I don't understand the analogy, but when they go to vote, they'll just vote with their emotion of like, whoa, like your dad, that's Bambi. We can't kill that deer. We can't kill that bear in California. We can't kill that mountain lion in Los Angeles. Los Angeles is overran with cougars and coyotes. It's the number one population of coyotes in the country. People don't understand that because they think Disneyland, they think the movie industry, they think Sunset Boulevard and Beverly Hills and Rodeo Drive and Santa Monica Boulevard. That's what they think of L.A. and the beaches and all that. Well, let me tell you something. There's a lot of hunting that goes on in the state of California. There is a ton of hunting in the state of California. But what what can't you hunt? You can't kill a cougar. You can't tree bears. Now they're trying to outlaw bear hunting as a whole because they're voting with emotion and not based on scientific data. So anyway, I'm off on a little soapbox right now,
1: but no, no, no. Actually, I kind of like what you're talking about because actually they knocked down the bear hunting thing. That that was a thing. They did knock it down, but it'll be brought back. It'll be brought back, and and that's fine. They tried to knock down guns, and they they got their ass kicked on that one this last year, which I I applauded. Even as a cop, like I'd show up with things, and I mean, as long as it wasn't a gangbanger that was doing something wrong you know, and they legally owned what they owned. I had a guy from Montana have his house burglarized. He just moved to California and I was taking the burglary report. Well, wow, that's kind of asked backwards, stole- ain't it? Well, he had work to do He was a contractor of some sort. I don't want to get too specific. And uh, so he, he pointed to his closet and he said, my 22 and my um, 20 gauge got stolen. And he moves uh, the coats that he had. He had a duster in there. Actually, it was kind of funny because, uh, you know, resist all dusters. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh yeah. So he had one of those, we blocked his AR-15 on the other side That the, Dingle Dick didn't steal, and uh, he goes, "Yeah, but they didn't get this one." And I looked at it, and I knew for the year that I was there, it was illegal per California standards. I mean, just importing it into the state would have been a crime. <laughs> I always had like partners, and because I was a training officer, so I taught I taught people things, and I taught them how to do their job. And uh, I stood back about ten feet and I said, "Well, I'm not going to look too closely at that because I'm not examining you for any crimes right now. I really don't give a flying whatever." Um, but if it has this sort of magazine and it doesn't have a button for the magazine release, which is whatever, I'm just going to say I wouldn't take it out in public. I'd keep it locked up. And if you get caught by any of the other type of cop who really wants to look at it because he thinks he's solving a problem, you might have a problem. And his wife slapped him on the shoulder. It's like, I told you not to bring that here. I said, no, listen, I don't care. It, it's not here. I don't care. It looks legal to me from 10 feet away. And that's as far as I'm going to get to it. Now, as far as what you're talking about with hunting, uh, it's actually kind of funny. You talk about coyotes in California you know, uh, homeschool wise, we travel a lot. So we see a lot of uh, animal preserves and rescues, sh- not rescue shelters. Um, you know, when, like a bird gets hit and they take the hawk into a shelter to get rehab, rehab, rehabilitation centers. And we went to one out in uh South Dakota and they rehabbed all bunch of random things like Ravens and, you know, coyotes and wolves and things like that. I think this was Montana actually. And I learned something interesting about coyotes and they're extremely hardy animals the way they work and the more you kill them the more they grow into a certain area because of population decline they actually move into those areas and so they people are bewildered in california why they're moving into cities they're just like raccoons kind of you know they just they do well everywhere they go
0: most adaptable Um, animal on the on the planet
1: yeah one of them other than cockroaches i think yeah and uh (laughs) keith richards (laughs) but um no i just there was something else he said i kind of forgot here but uh yeah, no, I just think it's interesting all these things, and well, we're just oh, voting but, with our emotions. We're just we're, the beef thing, and that was what I want to talk to you about. You know, you look at these people In and Out, and they're okay, and they go to the ballot box. It really comes from the same place, and I empathize and I understand. I think the most important thing to do is understand as a hunter. A lot of times, especially nowadays, people look at somebody else and they go, they have an opposing view. I don't want to understand why. I just don't like them because of that view, and. I have the benefit of being who I am and knowing what I know and believing what I believe, but at the same time, I guess I went to a liberal school because I didn't get the same thing out of it. I just maybe I just wasn't paying, paying attention. <laughs> but um, empathizing with somebody doesn't mean agreeing with them. It just means understanding where they're coming from. So you have these people, and it, and it came up. They go to in and out. They eat these things, but then they think hunting's bad, right? because they think hunting is taking care of a free wild animal. Well, ironically, these things you talk about, about having rights and wanting to ha- be able to go out and live off the land, I'm an Indian. I'm not a funny, funny, haha Indian, like uh what's your name? I'm actually in, you know, a registry. My tribe flies my family to Oklahoma to go to the Indian meetups. I have an Indian identification card. I actually showed, I had to show a bank yesterday and this is as close as I'll get. But what tribe? that's my Indian, I'm a Chickasaw Indian. Nice. All my kids are Indians. You know, I'm in the uh, Bureau of Indians. I'm registered with everybody. The Bureau of Indians, uh, the federal organization, you know, the whole thing. And so I actually had a discussion with somebody else the other day. Like, I have to pay to go to uh, national parks, right? But if you have ADD or ADHD, which is considered a disability, your park passes are free for life. I'm paying to go, but you have ADD, so you get to go for free. That bothers me. That's a small... A small side note, but you have these people and they don't understand what it is. And I think, for example, when I hunt a I, uh, deer, I shot last year, a mule deer, and I, it just kind of hit me, like it had no idea I was there. It was living its life just fine. And people are like, oh, why don't you just let it live its life? Well, you got cows you're eating all the time that are living in pens or living in small farms or even large farms, but they're going into these places they're that confined. That's all they know. The food that I eat or go after when I do this, is living a complete life. And then it's gone. Like it's, it is what it is. It's done. It's actually the most people you'd have to think about a peaceful way to go. Cause you don't know it's coming. No, you know no. what I mean? They live their greatest life. They live, they live a blessed life. So I look at my dad and the thing you said about people that don't understand, they vote the way they vote as a hunter. If you come across these people, you have to be empathetic first, because if you're adversarial first, you're not going to get anywhere. Nobody's going to get beaten into a different opinion. You know what I mean? But you can just go like, listen, I understand you've never been exposed to what really is going on. You've, Unless they're vegan. No, I'll never agree with a vegan. <laughs> but, vegans kill more animals than hunters do. Daily. I don't even want to talk about it. It's just, <laughs> I don't even want to talk I, I like to talk about it sometimes because I find it amusing. <laughs> I don't. It's just, that's a waste of time. Not like, it's not a valid thing. It's just like, I think we agree too much to even talk about it. But <laughs> no, you look at these people and they think, and people that eat meat necessarily, and then they just don't understand hunting. And you go, listen, I understand how you feel, but. No matter what, a wolf was going to get it. It was going to die between two trees it got stuck in, you know, fall off a mountain. Or rarely do they ever, ever make it to old age. There's no old age in the wild. You know what I mean? So here you have this two-year-old, three-year-old deer. It's got to meet a bunch of does over the period of its life. It's done its job. It's done what it's wanted to do. It's lived a natural life to this point. And here I am, 120 yards out. 308 in my hand it can't smell me see me feel me or even think about me right now it's just singing like i'm taking a nap where i'm gonna eat this like shrub underneath this oak tree and two seconds later it's laying on the ground maybe slightly confused you know at, at worst the similar to like being bumped by somebody in a shopping you know shopping center and then its lights go out you know what i mean it's it's dead it's going wherever it goes when it dies and that's it it hasn't been dragged through a process it hasn't been standing around watching all this and I, I don't mean to uh, anthropomorphize this but uh is watching all its friends be taken into the slaughter room you know what i mean it's not like it's not it's not an auschwitz you know it's and it, it died in its free reign you know it died for, ironically died free so what's your problem here well the you the,
0: the, the, the question that i always ask myself is like where, what do you think is going to happen if you don't control the populations if you don't look at the science of what disease can do through a population, if they're not controlled well, this, goes for predator management, wildlife populations. And then you look at the whole conservation um, initiatives throughout the last, let's just say, century. Let's say since 1908, you know, when the first wildlife refuge of Klamath Falls, Oregon, California border was put into effect. What do you think hunters are doing for the wildlife? What are the antis doing? What is PETA doing to secure the future of these habitats and these populations of wild animals? And if you look at the management process of what it's done to the overall abundance of white-tailed deer and Rocky Mountain elk and wild turkeys and the ducks in the flyways and the geese in the flyways and the fish in the streams, it's a no-brainer. But people want to sit there and say, well, if you don't kill them, they're going to thrive. It's the exact opposite it's some coming out of the ecosystem it's an education process that that deer that elk that duck is living its life to the fullest and if we don't if now if you do it irresponsibly nate and you don't eat what you kill and you're just going out there poaching or commercial hunting still then we have issues with that we have to be good stewards of the land we have to be good ambassadors to this lifestyle i know you're trying to say something i'll end it by this I have a big problem with people having the mindset and I'm not going to judge them for it. I just want them to be educated about what management means and that there is a responsible way of doing this. And that's what I think hunters need to keep in mind is that we need to educate. We don't want to jump on a soapbox and just be like, you're an idiot because you're a vegan or that you're an anti-hunter. That's not it. Just educate them through example and be a good steward of that land and just show them, hey, here's why I do it. And here's some reasons, and here's where this food went to. Whether it's a homeless shelter, a food bank, or your family, here's why yeah. I do it.
1: Well, I think other than the vegan conversation, which again I would avoid like the plague because oh, yeah. there's no. It's like talking up a cliff. Um, <laughs> Big time. Um, I, I, re, I really think it 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 has to do with understanding how to converse with people. And again, I go back to empathy. But I think if you approach it with a building blocks mentality, like start with a basic good foundation of understanding what most people's problem is. It isn't. If you start with, and I understand your point, and and I actually agree with that as a scientific and statistical point. It's very valid. It's very true. The herd management and conservation efforts and things like that and what it does to populations and how it helps them avoid disease and things like that. And this is a matter of opinion. So your opinion and experience is different than mine. If I start with that, I start debating numbers. And numbers isn't where most people are emotionally tied to. They're not gonna be, cause their opinions based on their emotions and their emotions are not tied to numbersness. You're not like, oh, look, I'm saving them by killing three of them. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's that's a, a, this is my experience and opinion, but that's a difficult way to start. So you have to kind of listen to what anybody you talk to's issue is, find the root cause of it. And this is something I learned, I, I got better at. I didn't, I wasn't good at this at first, definitely not but you deal with enough suicidal people in law enforcement to learn a couple of things. You never want to tell them you have so much to live for because if they actually thought that or believe that they'd never be standing on the ledge in the first place. So that's a pointless argument, right? You can't go up and be like, listen, uh, I'll give Tony. Hey, Tony, you don't do this. You have so much to live for. And I don't know how censored your show is. or If you can bleep me out, is this live? Are we, I no, you can say live. whatever you want. Okay. They'll look at you and be like, the fuck I do. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm here because I have nothing to live for so that what are you saying this to me for you know what I mean so you start with I'm here I'm here to listen to you please just give me the I mean I've had one person I I asked I asked for five minutes and I said just give me five minutes to talk to you at least I want to get to know you and about three minutes in I basically had enough on him and information things I'd already collected on, on my way to this call you know rolling you know code lights and signs and stuff Then I learned enough about him to make a connection with him, build a rapport, right? Because if you can't build a rapport with anybody and you can build rapport with complete strangers, you're not investing in a lifelong friendship, but you're building enough that you can actually have a conversation. So you're having this conversation with this guy, he wants to kill himself and you don't start with stuff that you think you want to hear or you think they want to hear. You have to figure out what they need to hear. You know what I mean? And that's when you apply the right kind of positions and pointers. So I'm talking to this guy three minutes in. I'm like, listen, I like you. I have no problem with you. And I don't see why somebody else would. Maybe you're just with the wrong type of people and the people you like. They may be important to you. They may be your brother your sister that hates you. Or you think they hate you, but you know what? You're never going to be able to fix anything with them. Focusing just on them. There are other people you can hang out with there. You have coworkers that like you. Maybe you just never gave them enough of an opportunity. And I'm, I can't go down these conversations for a long time, but you know, you learn to talk to people differently when you deal with people who are willing to end their life. You know what I mean? I've seen plenty of people successfully kill themselves, almost kill themselves, and then decide to change their mind. And so you look at people like these, these people have opinions or thoughts about hunting and the way people think doesn't change a lot, you know, from the scenarios law enforcement and to to what way they're thinking about, uh, you know, as far as hunting and and meat and things like that. The process is the same. The math is the same. The numbers are different. You know what I mean? And if you look at them and you go, hey, listen, like we're, if your approach is, we as hunters are conser- conservation people. We're helping everything. Look at us. Look at what we've done. They're going to look at you and be like, okay, your your science and math is great. That doesn't change the way I feel about what's happening or the way in which it's being done. So then you just look at empathetically, okay, what is your issue? Do you eat meat? And if they say, no, I'm a vegan, then you walk away. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if, if they do, then you have some sort of connection, some place to build a rapport. And if you can build a rapport with somebody, you can talk to them. If you go in thinking I need their, their mind to be changed in this conversation, you're making a mistake. You know what I mean? If it's somebody you can have additional conversations with, like, yeah, you could be that but guy. See, that pro- I think the problem
0: late. exists, Nate, and I'm not arguing with you. I think you have a great point, but I think that what it is is that you can't have that conversation every day. The numbers in the science, the numbers in the science say enough that if you're gonna go vote that we don't that we have to protect every mountain lion in the state of California. The numbers and the science will sh- will defeat that, and they need to be educated, in my opinion, of like, yeah. well, wait a minute. That makes sense. Now, I understand that I'm not going to go to every anti-hunter and, and plead my case <laughs> of why cougars have to be managed. I don't think that they need to be extinct. I love cougars. I respect cougars. I know what they do for our ecosystem. You want them to thrive. I want them to thrive, and I want them to be managed. And I, and I think that the science speaks for itself of, okay, well, here's what cougar hunting does for an area, for tourism, for whatever it is. You can go, you can talk money, you can talk revenue, or you can just talk straight science of what it's going to do of, of wildlife populations being managed. And I, that's my opinion, is that we manage cougars in the state of Nevada. And if we didn't, we wouldn't have antelope. We wouldn't have mule deer. I'm telling you that straight up. Somebody's managing, here, Nate, before you go on, somebody is managing the cougar population in the state of california it's just not legal licensed hunters that are spending thousands of dollars in taxidermy and fuel hotel rooms outfitting services buying their own dogs train their own dogs it's just instead not of, us anymore
1: yeah. instead of taxes generating being generated it's being taxes being spent
0: spent and there's somebody out there controlling the cougar population we just don't know about it or well people that are blind and to it don't know the about benefit. it
1: People don't get the benefit of it. And, and that's, why I, the, speak, the that's why I speak numbers. And I,
0: I do agree with what you're saying. Please believe me, I do. But I can't have this conversation no, with, uh, you know, 38 million people that don't hunt in the state of California.
1: Well, coincidentally, you're talking to somebody who for the last three years has been the, uh, the bane of society, apparently. You know, if you're familiar with ACAP, all oh. cops are bastards, right? Oh, yeah. Um, when it comes to trying to convince a load of people. You know, the, the, it's an exponential loss when you try to discuss with people like, no, this is not what happens in daily. What is it? George Floyd? Yeah. And, and I'm not trying to go down that path right now, but you look at something like that. And I, I watched the video. I was a training officer and corporal and I was like, no, I wouldn't have done what he did. And this is me as a cop going like, I don't really see an excuse for doing that. And he's going to pay the price for that. As we all, as cops expect to, you know what I mean? If you're like, well, cops shouldn't have to get in trouble. No, they should. When they do something stupid. Sure like a poacher should get in trouble that doesn't represent hunting does that a poacher great, represent hunting to you great,
0: great analogy well just like in florida now, just now all those deer that ted nugent is he got the big reward out that were killed in the park you know belly shot and uh, suffered and all that it's
1: not a hunter that did that yeah that's not people for these things and so you're talking to somebody who people actively wanted to kill because of what I was a part of wasn't born a cop. I agree with that. I wasn't born a cop. You know, they say black lives matter. I was born black. Can't change that. You're not born a cop. You could change that. Yeah, I I agree. You're right. I can. I still like what I do, love what I do, feel it's a responsibility and, and an opportunity to, to do something great. But I still think that I have, you know, a job to do that is vastly misunderstood even by people who are pro cop. You know what I mean? Like this is not how this works. And so you talk about, you know, the plight of hunters, Well, I don't think a lot of people want to go out, at least not in the numbers that I'm talking about, want to go out and shoot hunters. You know what I mean? Like, Hey, let's ambush a bunch of hunters at this mall. And so I can empathize with the difficulties of being a part of a different lifestyle. You know what I mean? And so even then I say, when you have an opportunity, you talk to people and you got to do the best you can to be an ambassador to that lifestyle, to that industry, to, to what it is you want to do. And you talk about voting days. If you're talking to people November 2nd, then you're talking to them way too late. You have plenty of opportunity to talk to people and if you don't take it and you don't learn to do it right, you're just blowing your opportunities because, I mean, you need to shove it down their throats. No, be the kind of person that they can respect and then they'll listen to you. If you're going to be a dickhead, (laughs) nobody wants to hear you. (laughs) <laughs> no I you can't you got you,
0: you have to be educated you have to be able to present it in the right manner in the right light i totally agree that's why Stephen Renella and joe rogan are so key in our the plight of hunters and outdoorsmen Whoa. and having ambassadors like that is is huge for them. and ted nugent a huge oh, right. rock star in the 70s and 80s and and maybe uncle ted can get a little outspoken but there's a reason why he is we need both sides of it we need a good balance of somebody that's not afraid to go up there and and put his neck <clears throat> out there on cnn because ted ted gets to go on all of these platforms wheel me as a hunter and on the outdoor channel i only have a small little platform joe rogan's got the podcast platform he doesn't go on ufc and get in the 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 octagon with daniel cormier and go man i killed this elk yesterday with this bow and and start throwing that lifestyle out there he does it diligently does. you know
1: i think he the thing about joe rogan is great is that he's exactly if you watch his show or his his podcast or his whatever and i watch it when i can um He's when you t- when he talks, he's never completely shutting anybody off. He's listening. You know what I mean? And it's that that skill set and that personality that makes him so approachable, and people listen to it more. You'd think that listening to somebody else means they wouldn't listen to you. No, being the type of person who hears them, understands what they're saying. And then you you kind of call them in certain facts, you know what I mean? Like he does, he he makes a point to do that. But he I can't wonder, do that I wonder if it listened. has
0: something to do in, uh, with his martial arts background, the the respect and the discipline of jiu-jitsu and the different uh, disciplines. Give and that, take. Yeah, give and take, you know, and like and you, balance. you you know, even with Croft Maga, you know, you give everybody like, hey, if you're going to do this, okay, this is the this is the consequence this, of it, and this is how we roll, uh, and this is how we roll, and I, I I think that's very well put. This is another episode of this life ain't for everybody. We are in an unbelievable conversation. Nate, you the man. This lifestyle is awesome. But here's the deal, dude. We haven't even gotten into the lifestyle, really. I had to get some of my thoughts out of of what I've learned about you through just conversation, just getting people's opinion about you, um, your reputation preceding you, your Instagram, which so many of us think that... Well, that is the life. Oh, is that really your life? Is it always happy? Is it always smiles? Is it always sunshine? I want to get into this next time we talk We are going to schedule part two with you to talk about some of your most current adventures I want to hear some stories. I want to hear some conflict. I want to hear some road bumps out there I want to hear the happy times that I want to hear that there is such things as flat tires And if you are going to bite off this type of lifestyle, you have to be prepared You have to know how to make a fire. Were you a boy scout? Nate, we're going to talk about all of this but I also I want to get into a little bit more of some of the questions I have and what can be encountered in this lifestyle because you're very well spoken, you're educated. but I do like that give and take. I like the I like that you are very, diligent in your approach of talking. Maybe sometimes I might be like, no, you got to give them the science or no, you got to be pro hunting. There's 10% of us that hunt. There's 10% of us that are against hunting. There's 80% of the population in America that I think is like 340 million people, maybe more than that. Now that 80% of them just aren't sure they might hunt during the times of COVID, we had a huge uprising, 760% of new fishing <laughs> yeah. licenses. We had a new, a world record number of new hunters coming in. You know what? It's time to keep them. I so saw We got to educate them. You saw them out there. We got to teach them how to yeah. do There is a right way to do it. <laughs> Illegal, ethic. We're gonna come back ethical. We're gonna come back with Nate. Remember to visit him on Instagram. Give us, give us, give us the accounts again. You know them by heart.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be Sunday Adventure is my more outdoor and adventure uh channel. Someday adventure, like someday I'll be a big boy. And then uh, someday I'll learn is our family-based stuff because it's about, you know, family. And then someday dad is my fatherhood approach to, to life and my perspective there.
0: I love it. I want to schedule part two. We've just tapped in to this lifestyle. I want to come back with this thought. I want you to do some homework on this, which you probably already know this. Social media, the lives we're living on social media. How fake are they? How real are they? Does everybody really live this happy every day, Mr. Nate? I want to talk about this. I want to talk about how you balance it, your real life compared to what you're showcasing on social media, the Instagram, the Facebook platforms. I don't know if you're on Twitter. I don't know if you're on the TikTok, TikTok, whatever it's called. I want to talk to you about your overall opinion of social media. And are your kids, all four of your boys, gonna have an iPhone at 10 years, 12 years old with their own accounts to showcase this adventure lifestyle? I want to get into this in part two of This Life Ain't for Everybody with Mr. Nate Day. We're gonna talk more. Thank you, Lear. Thank you, Bedslide. Thank you, Tag. Thank you all for listening and supporting the partners and sponsors that support us right here at This Life Ain't For Everybody. Please listen to our sister podcast, The Foul Life and Where the Payment Ends and brand new episodes of The Foul Life TV airing exclusively right now on the Outdoor Channel. We'll be back at you with part two of this awesome conversation with Nate Day. Check him out online, all over Instagram. He's got a badass family, a badass lifestyle. I'm proud to know him. I can't wait to meet him in person. Leith Lofton, take us out of here. This is my good friend, Leith Lofton, written by my other good friend, Anne Leith, Drake White, Leith Lofton, a.k.a. Haas. What you going to do when the money's all gone? We're
1: all equal, that's what I think. I don't believe even has a bank. Make good use of your time on earth and don't make a dollar bill all this worth. Cause I'd rather be poor living off in a hole than rich as hell without a soul Life on